Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Chris Verone, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Stocks bouncing back today, but still more than half of the S&P 500 is sitting in a correction. And one top technician says a number of beaten down names in the market may be bottoming out. He'll take us bottom fishing. Plus, it's a shipping showdown. Walmart firing back at Amazon, starting to roll out one-day delivery for all orders over $35. No membership required. But which stock has the edge? The traders will weigh in. We start off with stocks snapping back. The Dow soaring about 350 points at the highs of the day after yesterday's steep sell-off. This all after President Trump said the trade war is really just a little squabble. Tech the best performer leading the charge back, but the market closing well off those highs, ending the day up about 200 points. So... Can you trust this bounce, or is there more pain ahead, Guy? No, and yes, and I answered your questions correctly. Back to me. No, you can't trust the bounce, <laughs> and yes, I do think there's more pain. So when I say more pain, I'll say it again. I said it last night. I think the S&P can absolutely trade down to 2650. That's, I don't know, 180 or so S&P handles from here. I guess that's 6, 6.5%. And I think that move is definitely in the cards. I think you have a major double top in terms of 2940. President can Trump say whatever he wants about it being a squabble, easy to fix. I'm not certain that's the case. I think he understands that as well. I understand that he wants the stock market to go higher, and he had that happen today. But I still think now his tweets are diminishing marginal returns. I think the market goes lower from here. Where are we in terms of levels? We're in no man's land, right? We were 2,900 on Friday. We reversed off of it. We were 2,800 yesterday, reversed off that. Uh, we failed at the 50-day today. The internals were very tepid today. Uh, advancing stocks only beat declining stocks by about 3 to 1. On good rallies, you want to see that 5 to 1, 6 to 1, 7 to 1. Trin was like 0.7. You want to see that near 0.5. So I was a little underwhelmed with the response today. I was underwhelmed with the leadership. I think it's early. We're one week into this pullback after a four-month move. We pause here. Well, there's no reason why the response should have been emphatic. And, and to be clear, a couple you know, somewhat vague tweets uh, are uh, not even making up for some very uh, defined and, and I would say pronounced tweets that came from the White House. And, and then some, some press over the weekend in China that, that let it be known that China's ready to dig in. So um, you went from, you know, we talked about, let's take semis. Semis rallied back two and a half percent. Some people on any other day would say, wow, emphatic, except for the fact that the semis were, if you talk about a relative strength indicator, which we occasionally do when the market warrants it, how oversold were they? Well, 19 day, sorry, 19 RSI on a nine day basis was near where we were on Christmas Eve. Everybody remembers Christmas Eve. Guess what? After today's move, the RSA is now back at 35, which means it's not oversold. And so you can get from oversold to not so oversold pretty quickly, which sets you up for getting to oversold again. Um, I'm not saying that we have to do that, but, but I, I, I guess this is uh, some, some echoing of the same sentiment. So if the trade deal goes poorly, the Fed is definitely on the side. The, the Fed's on the sidelines now. But if the trade deal goes poorly, the Fed might cut. Yes or no? What well, yes. Think? Fed funds futures already at 53% so, so for September. They're more likely to cut if it goes south, the trade deal. If it, if it gets better the market's more likely to go higher. So I think you're sort of in that sweet spot, if you will, after all the sell-off that we've seen in the overall market. So I am constructive. 
although I do like guys' level of 26.50. That's interesting because you've been pretty bearish, bearish. and yes. now you're getting constructive when things look pretty awful. Yeah, and, and I think that everyone thinks there's not a reason why the market can go higher. Just think about it. We're not going to hear any new news about trade for the next couple of weeks, right? So you, you're not going to hear any new earnings the next couple of weeks. What did we all grow up in the marketplace? Never short a dull market. Dull market. So you have a couple of reasons. So I, I hear, I, I think we can sell off, but how long will that sell? I think it'll be quick. It might be you know, deep, it might feel terrible, but I think we snap right back. Well, when you look at some of these levels, 27.50 would be giving back a third of a 25% rally. 26.50 would be giving back about half. Those are reasonable corrections after right. 25% moves. What I didn't like about some of the macro uh, parts of today's move, copper was soft, uh, oil reversed uh, off the highs, bond yields were up dollar basis strong. point. Dollar, bond dollar yields were strong and bouncing. And, I wouldn't you know. say the macro narrative changed at all with today's move. Today, no. today was just an over, you said it, we were oversold, it was a whiplash back, I don't think anything was resolved on a day like today, although it does get you, if you are bearish, back on your heels, because right. you have a perfect storm here. This is a perfect storm for why the sell-off should hold, but there's too much nice talk on trade. There's not enough, take out the tweets from President Trump, there's not a lot that makes me say, oh my gosh, this is, this is irreconcilable, this is not irreconcilable, it's not going it's not gonna happen. In terms of the markets today, I mean, taking a look at the areas of weakness, Chris, you had mentioned, too, and I was definitely noticing the bond markets, even from this morning in the pre-market trade when futures were higher, bond yields weren't really moving too much. Um, but during the session, Facebook closed lower. We were noting that Alphabet finished lower by a percent. FedEx right. closed lower. I mean, there are certain stocks in the market you think, if this is going to be a rally broad-based, these stocks should theoretically be higher. So quickly, on a day when the market's up a couple hundred Dow points, Google given to sell off its head. I mean, that's a stock that probably should have had a relief rally today. And quite frankly, it didn't trade well all day. Facebook as well. I mean, I think you make a great point. So I thought the rally today was less than inspiring to echo what Mr. Verona is saying. I'll say this as well. I think today was probably, if you're bearish, I think today was the exact day you wanted in terms but of Facebook had, Facebook had privacy issues on so there so could have been some idiosyncratic Google you could lump in there if privacy is going to be a problem then you could lump in Google and if as we well. add some names to that list and put this market in context of bellwethers names like AMAT names like JPM names like Caterpillar I think that's going to tell the tale of the tape here as we move uh, over the next couple of weeks but I would stop short of calling this market yesterday oversold I mean we're four percent down over a week I, um, and I recognize some of the short-term tactical stuff was but you still had forty percent of stocks above their fifty-day moving average. That's not deeply oversold in the context of a four-month rally. It's going to come down to what people are willing to pay for, for the S&P at this point. And, and so this is, this is the issue. I think this is the biggest and the most relevant debate because interest rates, to me, I think we see, I think we see 220 before we see 280 on, on the 10-year, okay? I, I think, if anything, we have a lot of uncertainty still. Um, we've been here before for markets where people have been willing to spend not just 17, which would take you to around 2,900, um, seven, sorry, 17 times kind of current estimates, which is around 170. Although we're seeing some downgrades, but but you know you could also see the market wanting to pay 18, 19. We've been there when rates are zero. Um, all of the things being equal, I think you have a dynamic where, where stocks don't have to sell off a lot. I think the volatility of the trade war is still the uncertainty that hangs over this market. I mean, we, we, there's a note this morning out from J.P. Morgan about Apple. What Apple would have to do in order to maintain current gross margins, Apple would have to raise prices 14%. by 14 percent on its iPhones in order to maintain gross margins. For retailers, they would have to, on average, according to Bank of America. Raise prices on apparel by 2.3% in order to preserve their margins. People still don't know how exactly companies are going to deal with this, whether they can absorb those costs 
which Apple ultimately may be able to do. But can retailers, for instance, with such thin but profit margins, we yeah. don't know which a lot would, of no. things, which a lot of answers. Quickly, right you know, I understand what Steve is saying, and, and my pushback would be, you know, you're talking about an inflationary environment on the back of these whatever you want to call it, trade wars, trade dispute. I mean, if inflation picks up on the back of this over the next couple months, I mean, the Fed finds themselves in a very difficult position. We brought that up last night. So, again, I'm no fan of the Fed, but if inflation is their mandate, and if we're going to have an inflationary environment based on what exactly you just said, they're going to have themselves, they're going to be quite a problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that transitory will sneak back in. If they do get any whiff or sniff of inflation, they'll say it's a transitory event based on trade wars. They won't dictate policy or have another policy mishap. And that's what it was. Trade wars, the sell-offs that we get on trade wars, they've been short. The sell-offs that we get on Fed, those have been longer in duration. I, I just, you know, we're going to have a nice discussion on, on Walmart and Amazon later in the show. Yeah. I'll just say this, though, about big box and in general. The labor cost pressures and, and the, the, the competitive environment uh, that is cutthroat amongst all of those names that we know sit in the same kind of saddle with, with Amazon, excuse me, with Walmart which don't include Amazon, uh, I, I think you've got a big problems there for, for retailers in terms of uh, margin pressure and, and whether they can make money. Uh, and I think that's an issue right now because they can't pass it along. What apparel company can be passing along? Unless you're Nike, um, you go into stores to buy clothes, they're going down, Guy Adami, so and, you should think about that. And Tim, the staples have been telling us this for years. If you look at all the consumer staples, they've been sending this message for years. It's only the discretionary names that might be yep. finally catching up to this. All right. Our next guest says you can trust this bounce. And in fact, we are in for a big summer rally. Let's bring in Marianne Bartels, head of ETF strategy at Bank of America, Maryland. Marianne, great to have you with us here on set. Thank you to you've have heard, me. You've heard the proposal of cynicism when it comes to this bounce. Why, why do you think we're going to see a summer rally? Because the underlying data, which we're not really talking about, is really strong. We just finished up earnings, and towards the end of the year and the beginning of the year, everybody thought we were going to have an earnings recession. Uh, earnings beat expectations by 5%. We're up 2.5% uh, year on year. Um, first quarter GDP around the world actually surprised. Uh, employment is still strong. Uh, productivity numbers are starting to improve. We haven't seen productivity strong in a while. We've got a couple of good uh, data points, and if that trend continues, that's also going to be good for the economy. So we're starting to see a lot of green shoots that the market's really not paying attention to with the trade war noise that we're seeing. For the earnings in particular, I'm, I'm curious because some people will say, oh, the first quarter, that's rearview mirror at this point. When it comes to the full year forecast that we've had, do you get a sense that companies have already factored in the full impact of a full-blown trade war in those forecasts, or is there room for a ratcheting lower of those full-year forecasts? Well, the way we try to measure that, one of the greatest leading indicators of the direction of earnings is looking at earnings estimate revision ratios. What are analysts really doing with their numbers? Because they're the ones that are really talking to management. And we're starting to see a trough on a global basis in earnings estimate revisions. This is another one of the green shoots that we're actually talking about. So we think there's actually potential upside surprises as we move forward. Marion, if, if, if that's the backdrop of cyclical green shoots, what type of stocks or groups do we need to tell us that story from the market perspective? So everything that just got hit is everything that you want to buy. So we actually did some interesting analysis because we follow ETFs, and we wanted to see what ETFs were highly sensitive to the China trade war. And uh, the majority of them are technology, um, particularly semiconductors, and then you got the QQQs in there. And so tech is getting hit um, pretty hard, but that's a sector that we see secular growth in. In fact, we think that's part of the driver of the secular bull market. So tech would be number one. We still like consumer discretionary um, and industrial. So we would stay with the cyclical side. 
You know, your firm just released the fund manager survey. And in that fund manager survey, it is perceived that technology is the most crowded trade out there. And so how do you reconcile what, because that implies maybe people are getting it wrong and they're getting too ebullient about that. It's a really great point. Basically, maybe you have overbought conditions, and Chris knows this a lot better than I do, is you can get some overbought conditions and you have to correct out some of these overbought conditions. But when you take a much longer term view of the position of technology, particularly the, uh, the technology here in the United States, we're very, very well positioned. And I think that this is the main driver of the market. So clients that have been concerned about actually putting money to work, this is their opportunity. They had it in December and January. If they still haven't come in, this is another opportunity for them to add uh, to equity exposure. So, Marianne, what's the bear case? China, U.S. China side, what's the bear case? What sort of shoots a hole in this uh, you know, your 2900 price target? So we highlight three different scenarios. And the worst scenario is an outright uh, trade war where we just get a lot of uh, tariffs upon tariffs and economic data starts getting impacted. And that starts implicating uh, earnings to the downside. In that particular scenario, then we see a potential 20 to 30 percent downside. But here's an interesting statistic. We looked at all the different secular bull markets. And since we had a bear market last year, we wanted to know if we've ever had consecutive (laughs) bear markets in a secular bull market. And the answer is no. We've never seen back-to-back bear markets. And I think that's... Unless you're in a bear market. Well, unless you're in a bear market. Yes, absolutely. This is in a secular bull market. So we already had the bear market. And I feel that many clients aren't even focused that the bear market happened. And now they have opportunity because between Brexit and trade wars, it's really taken away from the underlying data. Given everything that's happened, the data actually really has a positive tone to it. So when you say summer rally... What kind of rally are we talking about? Well, see, now this is, gets exciting. If we, if we can really get some good quiet and, and a really good rally, we can break out to new highs, and we can get up into a range of about 3,000 to 3,200. By the summer? Uh, by the summer. Uh, 3,000 to 3,200. Yeah, because the market's not positioned for that. Uh, but our year-end target still remains 2,900. So we, we don't see that actually sustaining throughout the year, but we do think that we can get a very, very strong summer rally. Marin, does that rally start here, or does it start at 2750, or does it start at 2600? I think that's the tricky part of the call here. We're 4% down. Is that enough in this tactical drawdown? And, and I think it, that, that that's the right question, because we can get three 5% corrections within a year or a 10% correction. One can argue you've got the 5% correction. The question is, do we go down to 2650 and kind of get that you know full 10% correction? Really, nobody really knows the answer to that. So it, it's, it's going to be between here or 2650 um, that the market, we think the market settles out and then really starts the summer rally. All right. Marianne, thank you. Good to thank see you. you. Marianne Bartels of Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. That lines up with what? With your newfound bullishness, Grasso. My newfound bullishness. I, I think that when you look, go back, think about how many headlines on Brexit sent the market into a tailspin, right? Now you see Brexit, everyone just totally ignores it. Now, I'm not saying that China trade is going to be the same way, but to the same degree, no. But by the same uh, extent, maybe it is uh, sort of getting numb to it with the market overall. Uh, great to have Marianne here. Great to have Bank of America on our desk. And, and, and I would just say the pushback I would have is that, first of all, mega cap tech has always been defensive during these periods where people have questioned growth. 
The problem is the epicenter of this storm is technology, right? It, and, and think of the American companies that say China is not their friend right now and they're running into it. Think of what Intel told us twice. Think of what Texan told us. Um, so in, in an environment where I think you've got this could feel a little bit different, plus regulatory overhang. As much as I love Google and Facebook um, and Apple, um, these companies may have a slightly different cycle to ride through right now than they have at other times when we've questioned global macro. That's just a thought. All right, coming up, pot stocks on the move after hours. Tiller reporting earnings moments ago. That stock is higher by 5%. We are awaiting earnings from Aurora, which are expected any moment. We'll bring you all the latest details. And we've got the CEO of Canaccord, the bank behind some of the largest cannabis deals in the space. He will explain why this his company is banking on Bud. Plus, more than 50% of S&P 500 stocks still in correction or worse. But one top technician says it's time to go bottom fishing. He'll tell you the beaten down names worth a buy. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. The shipping wars are heating up. Walmart beating Amazon to the punch, announcing it will launch next day delivery on more than 200,000 items in Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Southern California this week. This comes after Amazon announced an $800 million project to bring one-day shipping to all Prime subscribers in the near future. Both Walmart and Target shares playing catch-up with Amazon so far this year. So can these brick-and-mortars really battle Amazon on its own turf, Tim. No, they can't. And, and <laughs> this puts fresh pressure on Walmart to, to reinvest in their business, which they've been doing. And, and I, I just think you have a case where, first of all, they're losing the price advantage to peers. Their, their competitive advantage is actually narrowing a bit. Um, I think labor costs are a major deal. I think there's, look, their pharma business could be at risk. We talk about that every day. So if you think about what the pressure is to compete then with Prime, which is one day, um, I, I, look, I, I don't think so. And people, I think, have been a little deluded by things like Flipkart, and, and Walmart's attempts to appear tech-savvy and global. Um, it's, a, it's a domestic story. Maybe that helps them now. Um, but this is not a name I would, I would run to cover. And then you put the trade war on top of all this, and that that's another thing. You know, all this... Price is, pressure. It's all coming exactly, from China. Exactly. Price pressure and margin pressure. Yeah, but, but uh, at Walmart, if anyone can compete with Amazon, it's Walmart. If anyone can haggle with their suppliers, it's Walmart. So they can make their suppliers... They could squeeze them out a little bit in a tariff landscape and an environmental landscape landscape like that. But it's it's something where you got to remember Walmart is 50 percent groceries. Groceries, as, as Tim said, this is a U.S. story. They're not coming mm-hmm. from Beijing. Their lettuce, heads of lettuce are not coming from there. So I think that they but have they're also a, not making money. Sorry to cut you. I mean, groceries no, is I, not a business that I'd want to. No, be. but their e-commerce was up 43 percent last year. They're guiding towards it being up between 30 and 43 percent this whole year, quarter by quarter. So I think they have the growth ability in e-commerce where Many of the brick and mortar don't have do, what they do have. Do they have the luxury of selling a spending story with the growth that they have? Mm. Like a tech company can sell that message. Even well, tech companies now are under, you know, investors may not be too receptive to that message either in this environment. I think ultimately the pictures and the charts and the prices are going to tell us the answer here of who the winner uh, of this story is. And you look at Walmart, it's quietly getting better. 
bottomed at 80, then it bottomed at 90, now it's 100. You break that thing through 110, that is a major structural breakout on the Walmart chart. Conversely, you look at Amazon, 97% of analysts who covered have a buy on it. The story's known. That number's 40% for Walmart. So I think if we're looking for the more contrarian or out of consensus play here and an improving chart, Walmart's right there for us. Yeah, but the, I, the chart might look great, and it actually does. But you look at Walmart, I mean, they, where's their earnings growth? They don't really have any. Trades at almost 21 times forward numbers. They report this Thursday. They better crush Thursday morning, or I think the stock goes down. I don't, I don't get in this environment how you can wrap your head around Walmart at 21 times forward earnings given the pressures that you just cited. So I'm more inclined to sell it. And quickly on Amazon, that stock, after they reported, was going lower. What saved them the day of earnings was the fact they came out of this one-day thing. That threw them a lifeline. And the next day, you had Mr. Buffett and company announce that they had put a stake in the stock. That threw them a lifeline. Now, $100 or so later in the stock, here we are. This is where the stock should have been post-earnings. And I think Amazon still has room to the downside. All right. For more on Walmart versus Amazon and which stock will come out on top, go to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. It's a bird. It's a plane. Nope, it's just Bitcoin. But the cryptocurrency is soaring right past $8,000. And we'll tell you what's really fueling this superhero rally. Plus, we got the boat. Check. We go That's right. As the trade war sunk stocks this month, one top technician is taking us bottom fishing for the names that could be heading back to the surface. There's much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money with 56% of the S&P 500 in correction territory or worse. Check out some of the biggest laggards, Halliburton, Mylan, Macy's, Activision, Blizzard and NVIDIA, all deep in bear market territory. So we thought now might be the best time to do some bottom fishing. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone, who's ready to reel in some names for us. Chris, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Well, let's first start with the index and let's put in context uh, what we've seen, where we are uh, and what comes next. We've had this 25 percent rally off the lows over about a period uh, of four months. We've come in four and a half or five percent uh, from the highs. A modest correction, and I think it's early to say that we're deeply uh, oversold yet. You still have about 40% of stocks above their 50-day moving, and it's just not washed out to the extent that you would expect for a decline of that magnitude. So I think there's a little bit more work to go uh, on the downside. Maybe 2650, 2700, I think is an area where there's better opportunities. So when we want to focus on names here, we want to look for stocks that are more washed out. You take 
a GE, for example, it's still down about 30% from its 52-week high. We've been impressed with the leadership that it's actually offered uh, over the last number uh, of weeks, and it's quietly come out of oversold territory. We think this is a stock that can be bought. You get it above that 1050 level. We're looking at $13 uh, as the target. Then we look at a name like a Lowe's. This is corrected about 12% from the high, so nearly double uh, what we've seen from the S&P. But what we like about it here is this series of higher lows that we have. Uh, bottomed uh, right here near the 70s. It trades uh, near 100 today. And I think important in relative strength terms, it's actually outperformed uh, along the way. So back at support near the 200, we think that's a timely buy. And then one more on the long side here, it's coming about 18% from the highs. This is microchip, part of the semis, clearly a very important group and an important name. It is very oversold here. The RSI uh, is in the low 30s. We're back to the 200-day moving average uh, right here. A good area, a timely area, we think, to uh, add some exposure. And I would also note, for the first time uh, in about six months, you have the 50 actually break above the 200. So we're oversold uh, in an uptrend. I think, conversely, we want to be skeptical of the names that have rallied in weak trends. And there's a handful of them in healthcare. This is healthcare equipment, Beck and Dickinson, BDX. This just looks more like a top to us. Failed to make a new high here. Closed on the lows today, didn't rally. Making new relative lows here. One of the more vulnerable names. So I think you have to be careful with these names rallying in weak trends and instead buy leaders back at support that are oversold. Chris, why don't you come back on over to the desk? Bring him back. It'd be kind of awkward if we kept him over there with the chair empty and all. Um, a guy? Yes. Which, which See, part? microchip is an interesting stock we don't talk a lot That's about. True. In valuation, it's reasonable. They just reported earnings. However, Melissa, you have a major, and we like this double top. We talked about the S&P. Well, guess what? You have the same thing in microchip around the 103 level. Traded up in the fall, had a huge sell-off, traded back, seemingly failed. At this point, with no catalyst, in, 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 at least in the, my purview, with the market seemingly vulnerable here, I think microchip actually goes down from here. One of those names, you know, Macy's is a name that really has not you know, found a whole lot of love this year. It's a name that if you look at, though, the same store sales trends, well, we're not going to tell you that Macy's is going back to the glory days. They are starting to grow top line. And, and I think they've lapped some very difficult comps. So if you look at a company that's already reaffirmed, they're going to make you know, somewhere between three and three quarter. This is a company that's trading six or just south of six times earnings um, with a major dividend, not the reason to buy a stock. But again, sometimes people have questioned whether the balance sheet allows them to pay that, and they definitely can. Yeah. I like Macy's. I like GE. I'm still long GE. I think GE turned a corner on a perception basis where they're sort of given a lot more leeway, a lot more flexibility. So I definitely see that in the chart. You don't see these fall off a cliff moves anymore. So it stopped going down on, on headlines that would have otherwise taken it down. I think it's a very important stock for the market as well. right? This is a stock that would lead you lower on the downside in these prior drawdowns. The fact that it actually acts a little bit better here, I think is encouraging that after this corrective phase, this is not a market that goes to zero here. I think there's actually some value being created. And look at names like GE, even Lowe's, given the exposure to the housing space. Home builders have actually acted really well during this whole period. I think those are actually decent signs here for the broader market. My, my, my view on GE, uh-huh. which is my number one pick in the CNBC Power Launch stock draft, mm-hmm. by yes. the way, um, doing very well. So my other are picks, you? not so much. What are your um, other picks again? No, I had Macy's, but we yeah. just talked about right, that. Right. And Electronic Arts has actually been right. the dog. But with, with, with General Electric, nope. 
there's no one left to sell this stock, in my view. I realize that there are people that could be speculating on the short side, but if you look at where the institutional following went on this stock uh, as a function of the dividend, as a function of, of, of issues, uh, the biggest issue for this company may still be the balance sheet. There's no question. And if we get into an environment where people are starting to look at, um, you know, massive debt stories that begin to, you know, fallen angels. GE is yes. the definition, if you look in any type of investment book. So one or two downgrades book. away from being junk, basically. It, it, look, if, if the global economy is, is you know what, GE's going to have trouble. I think GE does have trouble. But can I bring something up? Because I'm, although I appear on this show, I'm also a viewer of this show. And you teased something. You said mm. we have a top technician coming on. Yes. So I was like, Wow, we're going to have Carter Braxton Worth or somebody. Now, Chris Verone is a top yeah, Of course he is. He's, but he's on the desk tonight. So that was sort of, there was a, I don't know. Dis- Why? No, but he's. Disingenuous. No, no. This is what I promised. I promised the viewers. I promised the viewers a top technician would bring us bottom fishing through the charts. What did we get? A top technician going yes, bottom we did. fishing. You know what I think is disingenuous? Charts. Wasting good time on the I show. I'm not wasting discussion. time. Because our audience wants to know. I know that they're. People at home. Still ahead. Want to know. Two reefer reports after hours. Tilray is higher on its earnings, and we are awaiting Aurora's results as we speak. We'll bring you the very latest on those stocks. And from cannabis to crypto, what more could you want? Bitcoin soaring to the moon up more than 100% this year. Is the rally different this time around? We'll explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on pot stock Tilray. Let's get to Aditi Roy on San Francisco with the details. Aditi. Hi, Melissa. Tilray shares soaring after hours, up nearly 4.5% after their earnings. We're still waiting on the numbers from Aurora, but in the meantime, Tilray providing some color on its investments in a competitive market, which weighed on the bottom line. On the call, CEO Brendan Kennedy said the company is seeing high demand in the Canadian market and is spending more than $32 million to expand Canadian production capacity. Tilray is also investing in international markets. It just opened up a medical cannabis operation in Portugal. It also just closed its acquisition of Manitoba Harvest. And Tilray is looking for new partnerships. The company already has deals with Novartis and AB InBev. CEO Brendan Kennedy telling CNBC Tilray's eyeing a number of industries for future partnerships. We've mentioned pharmaceuticals. We've mentioned alcohol. Uh, we're starting to see tobacco companies enter the industry. Uh, I think retail is, is the next area where uh, lots of retailers uh, throughout the United States uh, are looking to have cannabis products or products derived from cannabis, primarily CBD, on their shelves. And we hope to have our products on their shelves uh, in the second half of this year. Another key metric from their earnings, total Kilograms sold increased twofold to just more than 3000 but the average net selling price per gram decreased to $5.60 compared to $5.94 a year ago. And, Melissa, we're still waiting on those Aurora numbers. All right. Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy in San Francisco. Let's talk about Till right here. Tim, you and I were discussing. I was taking a look yeah. at the net selling price, which went down yep. precipitously quarter on quarter and also year on year. Well, first of all, you still have shortages in Canada. So this isn't a case where people are saying oversupply. And some of this is just a function of bottlenecks in the system that are being worked through. Um, the medical market is more profitable than the recreational market. And this is part of the dynamic. I, you know, when you talk about Tilray, first of all, I think the company's been somewhat, you know, beaten uh, as, on the back of their own success in the capital markets. And so, therefore, the valuation 
inflation has been difficult to justify. Stocks down, you know, 60 percent since late November. And, and I think at some point you have to look at a management team that has worked out very strong JVs and partnerships with some of the biggest multinationals in the world. This Manitoba deal, by the way, will probably put 65 million or so in their revenues alone for 2019. So I, I think they are doing some of the right things. But I think people look at a lot of the Canadian LPs and say, wow, these valuations still don't make sense. All right. We should note that Aurora's earnings should be out at any minute. Uh, we're still waiting them. We've got the conference call tomorrow. We'll have Aurora Executive Chairman Michael Singer on the show tomorrow night, so you won't want to miss that. Uh, you're in a couple of... I am not in. I sold them. Oh, you but, sold. But right. I'm looking to get back in. And if you look at a lot of the charts, they've been under pressure. And, and Tim just said it. There was a cannabis shortage. Then you have licensing backlogs, and you still have regulatory headwinds. So you have three issues that have been in the marketplace that are somewhat known or, or, or have been prevalent throughout the, uh, the whole space. I think it's probably time to jump back into a lot of these names. When we walk over to the TV screen over there. The plasma. And we do that, we do the thing called what? The power pitch. The, pow- which the is- fast pitch. <laughs> Almost got you there. Power pitch <laughs> is one of my favorite things. And I tell you something. Mm. We power pitched a, a, a cannabis stock a while back. It was trading 97 bucks. GW Pharma, yeah. Look at that sucker now. Yeah. And all these analysts now putting $225 price targets on the back of it. Post earnings. So what do you got for us now, guy? That I got a, got a just great guest. I got Tony. We got Tony Dwyer's boss. I mean, Tony Dwyer. I mean, fantastic. All right. Well, amid all the pot mania, Canaccord Genuity has reigned supreme as one of the largest financiers of the budding industry. The firm raising nearly four billion uh, from cannabis companies since 2016 is behind some of the largest M&A deals in the space, including Canopy Growth's acquisition of Acreage Holdings uh, and Curalee's most recent purchase of Cure Partners. For more on the cannabis craze and what is next for the M&A space, let's bring in Dan Davio, the president and. CEO of Canaccord Genuity, otherwise known as Tony Dwyer's boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dan, it's, it's great enough. to have you with us, and, and I would probably start off with asking you for a review of Tony's appearances, particularly <laughs> yesterday night. But our show is not long enough for that. Um, you're holding a conference, and I'm just yeah. wondering, just as a place setter, how it's changed in tone, even from last year or the year before. Yeah, so this is our third year holding a conference in New York. I won't talk about year one because it was just painful to get people to come. But since last year, we've got 1,500 investors there today. And 1,500 investors, that's up double from the year before. We've got 100 companies there today. That's up over double than the year before. So the investable universe is expanding and the number of investors are expanding. And that's just our New York conference. We hold conferences in London, Toronto, Vancouver, everywhere trying to populate the world and educate them on the cannabis investing sure. space. Let's talk about deals in the space. Sure. Uh, and obviously the the acreage canopy one was a big one. You're involved on the acreage side, correct? correct. Yeah. yeah. And of course, it's a commitment to buy acreage once a, one of a couple of triggers happens, either correct. federal legalization or the easier treatment of cannabis companies on stock exchanges. Correct. Do you think this deal is going to go through? There has been some resistance on the activist investor side, namely Marketo, which has a 2.7% stake in acreage. Right. I think, I think it's a relatively uh, small holding in terms of resistance. Certainly all the shareholders I speak to have uh, been very, very supportive of the transaction. They understand that scale is really important to this business. You can say whatever you want about the transaction, but Canopy is a large company that's been spending billions of dollars on technology, on on systems, on delivery mechanisms. The most important part of this deal is not so much the exchange ratio, that fixed price exchange ratio, it's the IP license. Like Canopy has given Acreage a 90-month complete royalty-free IP license for all of their IP. What 
Acreage will obviously do with that is not only use their IP, but also use their brands and populate the U.S. with the brands. At the end of the day, that transaction will happen if it's allowed to happen. Like, they'll want to buy that. There is one part of the Marcato letter that stood out to me, and that is the fairness opinion that was issued by Canaccord to yep. Acreage, valued, can, uh, valued Acreage at twenty-seven forty-eight. The analyst who recently initiated coverage on it prior to the deal has a price target of thirty-five dollars, and mm-hmm. there's a no-go shop period on this deal. Right. Was I mean, is that in your view? going to be the standard in this industry? Why can why is there not enough of a competitive bidding process for this asset, which is acreage? Right. Um, well, well, the industry Especially not, when your analysts yeah, think that there's well, the, more upside well, no, to it. The, the problem is, of course, is analyst estimates are a year out. That's what they are. The price will be so-and-so in a year. It's not talking about the price today. And you look at the cost of capital in this in- industry, the, if you're going to be investing in this industry and taking the risk, you're going to want a substantially higher price. So a price now is not a price a year from now, number one. Number two, there's an incredible amount of volatility in this industry. You just spoke to it. So what an analyst publishes two months ago may not, in fact, be reflective of the cost of capital today in that business. And number three, there's Chinese walls in an organization. Analysts are allowed to do whatever they want to do relative to what our corporate finance team does. Um, once the deal was announced, we had both Bruce and we had Kevin here on yeah. set talking, and, and Bruce seemed to be convinced that this could be uh, uh, some sort of a template for the industry. Do you think that this sort of deal could be replicated, or is this going to be a one-off? And what will the future deals look like, especially with all the constraints on cannabis companies that are listed here on the stock exchanges? Yeah, I, I won't speak to who, who's going to do what, but clearly the Canadian companies, and, and, and Guy mentioned it and other people have mentioned it, that they're, they have some very lofty valuations relative to their U.S. peers. Those valuations eventually will collapse a little bit. So what they're doing now is they're figuring out ways to get into the U.S. market. It makes sense. It's the biggest consumer market in the world. It's probably the biggest medical market in the world. So they've got to figure out a way to get in. There's a number of different ways to come into the market, whether it's through a brand deal or other kind of option deals. There's other companies that have explored on exchangeable shares. There's all kinds of structures that could happen. But rest assured, the four largest Canadian companies that all trade at multiples in excess of the U.S. companies are all looking at ways and, to come into the And they US. will be here. They will be present in the U.S. in some or way. Or they'll have to buy their way in later. Right. Like if you're okay. Tilray, Brendan Kennedy was just uh, on your show. Like he's got a big market cap. He could afford to buy his way in later too. Yeah. Dan, all right. Uh, and Tony, one to ten? Tony? <laughs> Tony who? 9.9. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yeah. Dan, thank you. Good to see you. Dan Davio of Canaccord Ingenuity. Tim, what do you think? Well, first of all, congrats to Canaccord for really having a pole position in this industry. And, and, you know, funny, you talk about companies listed in New York. I'd love to see when Canaccord might list in the U.S. Because, I mean, ultimately, this is people are looking for exposure to to the banking side of this. This is, you know, a very interesting play. Uh, The bottom line here is you have enormous M&A. You could make an argument, you know, at at this event today, um, the M&A that either was a couple deals announced um, that's going to be taking place in the next 12 months will make the last 12 months look look like people were sleeping. And, and, And that's a function really of where I actually do think that you're seeing cross-border deals able to happen in a way they couldn't. Have you taken a look at any of these charts, Chris? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering because, you know, we saw Tilray go up right over the summer to yeah, this was a $87. this was a $200 stock in the fall of last year, and it's a $50 stock where it will open tomorrow. I, I think it's a trade at the best, but it's not something that we own here. All right. 
from cannabis to crypto, Bitcoin more than doubling this year. And one Bitcoin bull says it could be a safe haven for investors amid the market volatility. She'll be here to explain. Plus, this Dow stock falling more than 7% this month as it's caught in the trade war crosshairs. Some traders are betting it could get a lot worse this week. We'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Cisco. Higher today, the cloud stock flying this year at more than 20%. But some traders see rain in the forecast when Cisco reports earnings tomorrow. Mike goes in San Francisco with the options action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So the options market is implying a move of about 5% for Cisco after earnings. That's about in line with the 4.5% that it has averaged over the last eight quarters and the post-earnings move. And although call volume did outpace put volume today on above average volume, the bearish bets actually outpaced bullish ones. That would be when we see put buyers and call sellers. And the trade that I was looking at was a purchase of the May 51 puts. That was the largest one that included a block of 785 of those that traded for 71 cents. So the buyer of those is obviously making a bet that the post-earnings move is going to be to the downside. And for those viewers who want to learn more about why they might make that kind of trade, I encourage you to go to the Options Action website because Dan actually articulated a bearish bet using options on Cisco last Friday on Options Action. Now, first of all, when does that ever? I mean, you got to be kidding me! What? What? He's, he's pushing the OA website on a fast money hit. That's that Why is not? outside that the magic. lines. By the way, I will happen to say that Dan Nathan, who was uh, last week, I don't know when it was, but he mentioned that you've got to be worried about Cisco going into earnings. And Cisco, which went from 40 to basically 58 in a straight line, maybe it's over its ski. So I'm inclined to believe Mike to the downside, despite the fact that he's promoting OA website happens on this the, show. Happens all the time. You should really check I feel it like out. this happens to us all the time. You can also sign up for the newsletter on the oh website. You won't God. want to miss that. <laughs> Mike, thanks. Mike, go in San Francisco. All right, full show options action Friday is 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Bitcoin soaring to its highest level nearly a year earlier today. And if you're feeling a bit of FOMO, well, one crypto bull says it's still safe to buy. She'll explain. Plus, let's get a check on our Kramer cam. Jim, as you know, is out in San Francisco all week. And there he is talking to the Adobe CEO as that stock soars this year. Catch the interview at the top of the hour. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin pulling back today after charging above 8,000, now hovering below those levels. The cryptocurrency, however, still more than double its price from the beginning of the year, sitting at its highest level since August, up over 30% in just the last week. This, as the crypto industry's annual consensus week, gets underway right here in New York City. So can this latest Bitcoin rally hold? CoinShares Chief Strategy Officer Melton Demers joins us now. Melton, great to have you with us. Thanks for stepping away from consensus yes, to join us. Great to be back. Are you Good counting back. the Lambos this year? Is Snoop Dogg <laughs> going to show up? And what no kind of Lambos, conference is it going to be no this year? Snoop Dogs, but a lot of great progress being made. And the story this year, if last year was all about these speculative new tokens and protocols, this year the narrative is Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. So it's great to see return to Bitcoin and everyone's feeling good. We're seeing signs of life and there's a lot of confidence right now. What has happened to narrow the field down to Bitcoin so much? Because just a year ago, it was about every single coin on the planet. Exactly. So I think, look, last year we saw this crazy speculative bubble. I was on the show a few months ago. We talked about the depths of the crypto crisis. I think a lot of people initially looked at Bitcoin and said, oh, it doesn't scale. It's not fast enough. And everyone tried to create new coins that had different features they felt Bitcoin didn't have. And they learned it was really hard to do that. 
What we saw in the meantime was many institutions who had spent the last two or three years learning about Bitcoin started to understand it, and they started to actually build platforms and products that touch Bitcoin directly. It's the largest asset by market cap. It's the asset people know best. It has the biggest brand name. And most importantly, the Bitcoin network is the most secure network. As evidenced this week, Microsoft, which had been working with Ethereum for a long time, has decided to move all of its identity work onto the Bitcoin network instead of another implementation of a blockchain. So the pickup in price in Bitcoin seems to coincide with what is going on globally in terms of the trade wars, just questions about global growth. Is that coincident or is it a factor in Bitcoin's rise? Look, I don't think we can ever say there's a direct relationship, but I think there are three main themes going on. Number one, there's a lot of global macro unrest. There's there's a lot of volatility in the market. Times have changed. This is not 2018. The end of 2018 was rough in capital markets. Now we're seeing a lot of volatility in tech stocks. And so Bitcoin is starting to look maybe not so crazy to investors. Second big theme, privacy. Privacy, privacy, privacy. It's everywhere. Big efforts on the Hill, especially with a new privacy regulation coming, breakup of Facebook potentially, people talking about Apple antitrust suits. So that's another big theme. And I would say the last one is what's happening in private markets. We've seen a lot of tech IPOs that haven't performed the way investors have expected. So again, the idea of a new asset class, the idea of Bitcoin connecting with legacy finance is really appealing to a class of investors looking for innovation and high growth. Okay, and, and last question, because we, we've seen this rise in Bitcoin just very recently. I mean, it was sort of in this crypto winter for quite a long period of time. And, and during that winter, there was a lot going on on the Bitcoin blockchain network in terms of institutions choosing it over other networks. And so I'm, I'm curious, does the price of Bitcoin, will it still go higher or not, because it, does, it seems to move independently of what is actually being built on the blockchain. I think a lot of it has to do, so the price of Bitcoin corresponds with inflows into Bitcoin, and the more people buy it and choose to hold it, the better it is for the price. So two big things, Square, which is the primary way that retail investors have access to Bitcoin. Let's be honest, Bitcoin is very friendly to retail investors, not so friendly to institutions yet. That's changing. They've seen a doubling quarter over quarter of the amount of Bitcoin bought on their platform, 65 million this last quarter. So more and more people are buying and holding Bitcoin. We see it in our products through the crypto winter. Even though the price went down, we didn't lose many customers. We right. had mostly holders. So people want to hold. Melton, thanks so much. Great to see you again, Great Melton DeMuros. Thanks for having me. Chris, uh, what do you make of the Bitcoin chart? Well, I think when we look at the picture, we've got to remember where we came from, down 85% last year, up 160. It's perfectly reasonable to take a pause here. I looked at the 6,500 level as a good area uh, of support, but I think this is about speculation. It's about risk assets. It's probably a pretty good signal for the broader market that it's up. Right. Up next, final trades. final trade. Tim. Yeah, I think in earnings, Cisco is a name that also has been beaten up, and I think they will survive this one. Love it. Chris Verone. GE, long. It acts well in a tough tape. We think it goes to 15. Steve Grasso. Consistency. OLN. I picked it a number of times for my final trade. OLN, one more time. Okay. Watching a draft lottery tonight, Melms? Absolutely <laughs> not. I'll be locked in, sister. Good for you. Constellation Brands. I'll have a drink during it as well. I'm sure. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.